Parts of this episode were recorded earlier this year. Welcome to the Joywell Conversations, the podcast of The Joywell, created to inspire, amplify, and support Black and Brown women everywhere in living their joy out loud. On today's episode of Joywell Conversations, we'll be speaking all things joy with our guest, Dr. Valerie Washington. Dr. Washington, born and raised in the Bronx, has led an inspiring life in the field of education. After 10 years of teaching in elementary school, she went on to earn her doctorate in education from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. During that time, she stayed in New York City, where she directed teacher education programs at Lehman College, many of these programs becoming the model for graduate education programs across the U.S. One of her priorities, address the issues of equity and racism facing our public school system. Today, she's the Associate Professor Emeritus at Lehman College and Vice Chair of Lehman Center for the Performing Arts. Not only that, she is the mother to my sister-in-law, Carrie Washington, and a mother figure to me and all those who come in contact with her. We affectionately call her Auntie Val, and I'd like to welcome her to the show. How's it going out there? Very well. It's a beautiful day today. I am in Los Angeles right now. I miss Los Angeles. I know. Ah, home, home. But you know, we're we're trying out here in New York City. Um, it has been a a special time. Let me just tell you that much. And I will <laughs> so say, I think I will say I miss New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's been longer than I expected. Many of the beaches are closed. Wow. When did they close the beaches? Oh, they've been closed for the last two months. No, no, no. Were they part of the lockdown? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh you could drive by. Uh, you might be able to ride a bicycle. But uh, walking, running, and even now you cannot, in Los Angeles, put a blanket on the sand and lay down and spend the day. It has to be active Um moving, walking, running, swimming, surfing, not just lying wow. down in the room. Yeah. And the parking lots are roped off, so you cannot drive in and park your car and stay. Same thing with many of the parks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Maybe if people will keep the distancing and wear the masks. Yeah. Would, um, I think that's going to have to be reinforced. Yeah, so I agree. don't forget. Yeah. In the midst of all of all of this pandemonium um, and the pandemic itself, though, have you been able to find find ways to experience joy or how how what is your day to day like? What what keeps you going or keeps you sane right now? <laughs> um, <laughs> I have not felt insanity, thankfully. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There are days that seem to just fly by. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but I have found that doing quiet things, uh, mm -hmm. like a crossword, not a crossword. I'm not a crossword puzzle person. I have started <laughs> doing jigsaw puzzles again. Nice. Yes. I've, I've listened to books on tape while I do that and while I walk. Mm -hmm. And so that's very productive because mm -hmm. I'm using my mind and I'm listening and um, I'm finding joy. That's awesome. Uh, fortunately here, the weather is beautiful. Flowers are blooming. Everything is green. 
And just looking at the sky and the flowers just brings a smile to my face. And of course, my grandchildren, who we've been safe distancing from, so we don't (laughs) get to hug. But see them every day because they come and do the sports part of their day in front of our house. And so we get to cheer them on and watch them run and play and They've become really remarkable with nature because they've been doing nature walk and to watch them become unafraid of things like snails and grasshoppers and uh, other creepy crawling things is delightful. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And they watch the caterpillars build their cocoons and then hatch into butterflies and then what? they released the butterflies. And when they released them, we all made wishes. And that was so very joyful. It was just a wonderful experience. I love that. Those of you who don't know, Dr. Valerie Washington, who I affectionately call Valor on Val, is uh, related to me through marriage. She is the amazing mother of Carrie Washington and my brother's uh, mother-in-law. And so I'm really grateful that she is here because it's it's an opportunity to talk to family, which technically, yes, we might text and talk every other day or so, but to really just sit down and, and think about some of the things that bring you joy, well, it's just an honor to, to have you speaking with us. There's There's something that you said that just made me like, just made my heart smile about the grandkids and, and watching them. Um, just discover nature and be become unafraid. And if there's anything that this pandemic seems to be teaching me, is that the earth is still here, <laughs> regardless of the fact that we're, you know, creating roads and pavement and have all these buildings around and you know whatnot. That nature still exists, and with without us doing all the things that we humans have gotten used to doing. Now you're seeing deer out where you didn't see them before or goats. I saw this video on um, Twitter that had goats like running the streets of Ireland and San Jose. <laughs> I know it was just, it was just amazing to me. I had an experience walking to Fort Tryon Park where the squirrels, it seemed like they had gotten the message that there is a social distancing order. So when I was walking behind them, they would keep looking back until I was like at least six feet or more. <laughs> It was hilarious. I was like, wait, did they get the memo too? Like, obviously there were changes happening in the environment um, related related to um, the lockdown, the pandemic, and just us reducing our humanness and returning back to sort of observing and being one with, with nature. But anyway, what you said about the grandkids, that just made me smile. Yeah, so delightful. So I want to talk about joy. And can we talk about it in the context of growing up in the Bronx as a first-gen American? What was that like for you? That's a good question. Um, I don't know that we necessarily knew we were first generation (laughs) Mm. because everybody to a greater or lesser degree was. Hmm. In the neighborhood where I grew up, um, everyone, everyone's parents were from somewhere else. There were many children whose parents were from Puerto Rico. Um, 
my best friend who I am still, who I went to high school with and we're still friends. Oh, wow. Her father was from Walter and her mother was from Czechoslovakia. Um, wow. Another friend's father was from Cuba. Uh, hmm. So everyone had parents who were from somewhere else and very often who spoke another language. So it wasn't yeah. unusual. Uh, what was unusual for me was that my parents being from Jamaica, a lot of the kids had no clue uh, what Jamaica was or where or how. And so if they said, you know, well, what are you? And you said, I'm Jamaican. They had no idea what that was. Wow. There was no frame of reference. Uh, some kids knew that there was a place on Long Island called Jamaica. And, and I'd have to explain, no, not Jamaica, Long Island in New York, but Jamaica, you know, an island near. I didn't even know whether it was near Puerto Rico or not. Because right, I right. Because not have that much information, really. Uh, hmm. My parents did not have a connection and did not speak about the island. And so I had very little information about it, but I did know that I was a person of color. Mm -hmm. uh, and in those days uh, we were referred to as coloreds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we did know we were different in, in that respect. What's fascinating about that, um, what you're saying is just even not knowing or having that consciousness about um, being first gen because of the people you are around. I don't think it was until like after college for me that the terminology sort of came into my existence. Cause up until then it was like, well, no, we're Nigerian, but we were, we're American. And yeah, we're just like you guys. And most of my friends were um, Asian American or either came from uh, a Pacific Island or, or an Asian or Far East Asian country, or their parents came from there. And so all of us were just like, well, we know where our parents are from. <laughs> I guess right. that's where we're from. There was always that sort of like, I guess we're from where our parents are from, but then you get to school and you want to fit in and you're like, well, I'm American too, but then you, <laughs> you, get, you yeah. have those international days at school and so people are bringing food from wherever their um, families are from and you realize, oh, no, 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 these aren't Americans. They're bringing like plantain and rice. They're bringing like um, pho, you know, the Vietnamese... Uh -huh. um, you know, like all of this different stuff. And you're like, oh, oh, wait, you're just like me. You eat something different at home. <laughs> you know, it's not just hot dogs and hamburgers. It's like, or meatloaf or casserole, which I could never understand. Like growing up, because that was not something my mama ever did. <laughs> you know, it was like, nope, you're eating Gary or Fufu or you're eating rice and stew or, you know, something like that. But yeah, anyway. What I do remember... Uh, very distinctly was learning what the correct response was to what did you have for Thanksgiving. Ooh, tell me about that. Well, in order to have an American Thanksgiving, you had turkey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Turkey and potatoes and cranberry sauce. And, yes. you know, and so that would be the response in school when you were asked because that was the correct response. And they did not know you know, what plantains were or, right. you know, any of the other other foods. Uh, oh just to fit God. in, you learn to respond with what the teacher wanted to hear. Wow. 
Yeah. Wow. And what many of the other kids were saying. It was kind of a mixed bag between, you know, kids having one experience at home and another experience in school. When I was in elementary school, this was really not long after the end of World War II. So there was a big push towards becoming a citizen and being an American. Uh, that was very, very strong. I remember when my mother became a citizen. I remember her going and coming home with her citizenship papers. Wow. It's very, very important. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, when you, you were born and raised in the Bronx. I was born and raised in the Bronx, but both of my parents were born in Jamaica and came here yeah. as their early 20s. And so they did have to become citizens. My father became a citizen first. And then mm -hmm. my mother became a citizen a few years later. Wow. But I was in elementary school at the time. And it was a big rite of passage. I don't know that it's made such a big deal these days as it was then. Mm -hmm. It was a real source of pride. And the idea of now being able to vote and do those things mm -hmm. that citizens do was very, very, very important. You've just given me a, a, a whole new perspective on on citizenship and the and the right to vote. I remember when I was um I don't was I in high school? I might have been in high school or maybe just starting medical school when I discovered the citizenship papers for my dad. Ah. And apparently he hadn't I always thought he was an American citizen, but apparently he just had he was like he had a green card yeah. But like there's an actual thing where he became a, a citizen of the United States. And I was just, I, I was dumbfounded. I was like, that's a whole thing. Like, <laughs> you know, there's paper, <laughs> there's like, you know, it says welcome, you know, like whatever the, their certificate or whatnot that you get. It was just, for me, that was, it was after he had passed. Right. So for me, it was like, wow. What was that like for him? I always wondered what that might have been like for him to. The thing that, that I discovered that was very, very interesting, mm. um, uh, several years ago, I had become very interested in genealogy, and mm -hmm. I did a search on Ellis Island, because both of my parents did come through Ellis Island, and oh. I found the ship manifests of uh, both of the ships that they came from, came on yeah. to the United States, and people were described uh, in terms of where they came from, their height, uh, their color, uh, might mm -hmm. be white or colored or wh mm -hmm. whoever the person you know, decided you were. Um, and one of the most interesting things was that they asked questions like, are you an anarchist? How about that? An anarchist? Yes. <laughs> Um, okay. How long do you intend to stay? Uh, who will you be living with? Uh, how much money do you have? And wow. there was something called show money. And that's where the expression came from. When you got off the boat, you had to show that you had money and that wow. you would not become uh, dependent on the government to live. And wow. I know for a fact that when my mom came here, she had $50, according to these papers. 
and the $50 was loaned to her by someone so that she could show that she had money. She had money. And then she had to pay that money back. So that's another oh part God. of our history, probably wow. little known. Yeah. And imagine, I don't know, what, what year was this that she came into the um, States? Let me think. It was about 1928. Wow. So $50 could have easily been like the equivalent of a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? Probably even more. Probably oh. more. Um, so that was a substantial amount of money to come with. Yes. Yeah. That, that was an interesting journey to to be able yeah. to look at those kinds of documents uh, and understand what people were looking for and how they were judging people. Because people were also not let into the country if they had any kind of deformity or disease or they could right. be put on a boat and sent back. Well, I just learned that um, on, and I, I think it's still the case that on the citizenship questionnaire or like entrance, there's, uh, do you have syphilis? Um, and I was like, wow, wow syphilis okay. of all things. Um, and whether that's still the case now, I'm not sure, but certainly before that was one of the questions. And and I guess this might have been before they thought about giving penicillin to people. Um, but we shall not get into that sordid history of yeah. America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good grief, because we're talking about joy and um, and how you live that joy. But right. speaking of which, you um, became a teacher. I remember this um, from your bio and you telling me, but you had majored in science. Yes. Right? I was a biology major. Black woman majoring in biology, um, and then you went on to teach. So, so what made you choose biology at that time? Um, it was something that I enjoyed and something I was good at. Um, mm -hmm. I was not a good liberal arts student at all, but I did love the sciences. <laughs> wow. Did you ever think of becoming um, a doctor or a researcher or something in that vein? I think I thought about a researcher, as I recall, but I did not know how to pursue it. Um, and uh, there was not a lot of guidance in terms of how to pursue it. Um, mm -hmm. When I was in school, a young Black woman had very limited choices. Yes, there were people who did manage to go to medical school and, and do other things. But with my background, I did not know how to pursue it. And I really had to land on my feet and work. And so getting a job wow. as a teacher was the quickest way. And mm -hmm. I did minor in education and I had the credentials to do so. Wow. But believe it wow. or not, I was told by one of my professors that I would never get a job teaching in New York City as a colored girl, so. Woo! And that was 1960. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. To see where you are now, all the experiences that you've had, and then to hear somebody telling you, <laughs> you're never gonna make it as X, Y, or Z, as a colored person. It, <sighs> It, it's not that it breaks my heart. It's just, it's somebody, somebody along the way forgot 
to be human or to show their humanity or their decency. That's what I call it. A similar thing was was said to my was said to my mother who was pregnant with me when she was doing her I think it was her bachelor's in pharmacy or was it her doctorate? One or the other. She was pregnant with me and one of her professors had said something similar to you that you will never be able to pass these classes and graduate, especially being pregnant. (laughs) She was like, wow, okay, (laughs) who are you? Um, I remember, and and this is now much more recent. This is like late 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, when I had um, a pre-med advisor, a black woman, an older black woman, tell me that I would not make it into medical school or become a doctor. And one of the women who was interviewing me for uh, medical school, another Black woman, said to me, yeah, you don't have what it takes to be a doctor. And I was like, wow. But then you go on to live your life. If you believe the things that cra- you know folks say, the craziness that folks say, it may stop you from doing something that brings you a certain amount of joy, but it's just, it's crazy that people tell you this, especially people who look like you. Because they have been socialized in a way that they no longer know who they are and their own joy has been diminished and they don't see a role in helping other people to fulfill theirs. I think that's part of being a joyless, unhappy person is that you then discourage other people from pursuing their dreams and you want them to remain in the same kind of position that you're in. Join us next time for part two of our Joywell Conversation with Dr. Valerie Washington. You've been listening to the Joywell Conversations, a podcast for the Joywell. This episode was written and produced by Chisara Asimova with music by Kevin McLeod. And to all of you listening, remember, Love joy, be joy, live joy well.